Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Welcome to the Tuesday Newsday Podcast, episode number 38. Uh, so let's start off with the ratification of the Electoral College and the protests slash riots of the Trump supporters. So presumably you saw this, listeners, because it was fucking nuts. Um... Basically, Trump supporters, um, after having finished a Trump rally, (sighs) dipped out of there, and, you know, some people will say, with Trump's blessing, other people's will say, you know, the opposite is true, and he only ever called for peace and civility. But regardless, uh, the Trump supporters stormed is far 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 too strong a word for what they did but they they marched over in mass and you know pushed through a few sparsely defended barriers uh in front of the capitol and then made their way up to the capitol broke some windows eventually they uh i'm not actually sure if they broke down a door or they just like reached in and unlocked it after they broke a window but they got in and they had all these weird standoffs with the officers inside where the officers were very reluctant to shoot these unarmed people because they were, I mean, look, I'm not going to say who was and who wasn't concealed carrying, but there were no openly armed people. And so the officers didn't really want to shoot them. Most of them, a couple uh, did get shot. One lady at least got shot in the neck and died. But they ended up breaching the Senate chamber and hanging out in there. Someone stole one of the lecterns. Um, Yeah, it was madness, right? People were in Nancy Pelosi's office taking selfies. It was just kind of insanity. Now, you have people, some people, calling this a coup attempt. Uh, Again, far too much credit for this half-assed operation that seemed more intended to drum up a new cycle's worth of headlines than anything else. Like, no one even set any fires, you know what I mean? Like, these people really need to take a look at what the um, uh, Black Lives Matter people have been doing to Portland over the past, like, few months. That is how you riot. This was not a riot. Like, I mean, it it probably should be technically a riot, but it was, like, uninspired, I guess, right? Like, people didn't seem that enthused. There wasn't, like, this seething undercurrent of rage to texture the events. It was really much more like, you know, oh, I thought we were just going to protest here. I guess we're going in the building now. You know, I hope they didn't vandalize that antique stonework too much, right? And, like, why was the Capitol so poorly defended? Like, imagine if these idiots had rolled up to Apple or Microsoft or Boeing or Samsung, oh, Samsung, and tried to pull this bullshit and get into the boardroom. Do you think this would fly even for a second? I mean, it's worth considering how many people, if you showed up, showed up at Apple's donut-shaped campus with a crowd of four or 5,000 people, and you had 
500 or so willing to storm the building. Do you think you could make it through? Do you think Apple security is armed and would shoot you? What do you think the police response time would be? These are questions worth pondering. It's a good mental exercise to game plan things like that. Just, you know. It's important to contextualize the emergency service responses, just in general, it's best practices. Regardless, um, they did in fact get ousted, right? Like, originally there were like 15 or 20 random beat cops just standing there. And they're not going to be able to, and like they had these small barriers. What are they going to do against this crowd? Nothing. So they did nothing. And then you have people like decrying them for not just blasting people with their handguns. It's like, yeah, right. Once they brought in the real cops, right, the, the, the proper militarized cops, they sent in, you know, the SWAT team, the right people. Dudes got cleared out with a quickness. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, and like, oh, you have people, the level of sanctimony that you're hearing about this is horrific, utterly horrific. People acting like this is the most disgraceful event they've ever seen. It's like, oh, please. This was, ugh. This was just another Tuesday in 2020. Well, 2021, I guess. The 2020s. Not to jinx the whole, uh, decade. <sighs> Anywho. And this was all well and good. I think they were cleared out within a couple hours of this going down. I watched a lot of the events um, live. I like I watched the streams uh, and I have also perused the uh, the data hoarded streams and the periscopes and all that, right? And I haven't like looked at the official coverage that much of the riot because it just annoys me. It is hilarious how depending on whether or not uh, a person's alliance is with the blue team or the red team, uh, how certain groups are protesters and other groups are rioters, right? It is, it is amusing. But then we get back to the issue of the counting of the votes in the Senate in the joint session, which is not a session in which they roll joints, it's a session with both houses um, represented in the same building. And so, as you may or may not be aware, Trump has been decrying the election is illegitimate. He has been saying there are some, you know, whatever discrepancies he's talking about. I don't want to get into it other than to say I have not done any real research on the discrepancies. And neither has anyone else. So don't listen to people who flip out about, like I, I mentioned this last podcast, don't listen to people who are like, there, you know, there is no evidence. It's like, yeah, there's no evidence. Okay, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It also doesn't mean it did. There's just no evidence. A, a call cannot be made either way. And it doesn't actually matter because the results are going to stand unless Red Team wants to actually have a civil war. And that's one of the things that needs to be taken into account when we look at the intensity of the red team's protest when you are armed to the teeth it puts you in this sort of awkward situation where escalation becomes exponential 
rapidly, right? So it's really hard to hit that sweet spot of burning down businesses and smashing windows and looting Walmarts and Targets and gas stations when everyone is strapped. Because once the bullets start flying, all bets are off and it gets real crazy real quick. And people don't want that, right? People are, I mean, you wouldn't call them rational actors as much as economists like to think they might be. I mean, no one actually does, but wouldn't it be convenient? But they're not so irrational as to want a shooting war. Or at least very, very few are. So it's hard to get to that that sweet middle ground where you're burning down a city, but yet very few gunshots are going off. So that, that does need to be taken into account when looking at their the intensity of their riot. You know, some slack must be cut. And, and, I would be remiss if I did not mention the absolute legends who set up a food stand out in front of this. Because that is American as it fucking gets. Heroes. <sighs> Much like our first responders. <laughs> These capitalists creating value in the market, filling a niche that was open, it warms the cockles of my heart, dear listeners. Moving back to the joint session. I watched this as well, and I gotta tell you, I was disappointed. And I wasn't disappointed by the conduct of the senators and the representatives from like a a moral perspective. Although maybe, depending on how you want to argue it, I was disappointed by the fact that nobody knew their fucking lines. And no one had the, the a sense of gravitas, or if at least not enough. It was incredibly frustrating. It's like, we are paying you fuckers. What? Six healthy figures with incredibly generous benefits to work a hundred days a year, to get nothing done, and you can't even learn your fucking lines? It's a fucking insult to democracy and to the American people. People, oh my God. If you can't follow parliamentary procedure, you should be thrown out. And like before a new senator takes their seat, they should have to pass a strict test given by an old stuffy British man on parliamentary procedure. And if they can't get it right, they have to only communicate through notes handed to the man who will then read them with the correct procedure implemented. Oh, it's like, come on. Fucking infuriating. Pelosi was a disgrace. The only person of the main characters who consistently have their lines pretty good and their delivery was excellent was Mike fucking Pence. Goddamn Mike Pence had this like actual gravitas and measured cadence to his delivery and I really appreciated it, right? Everyone else was just kind of like up there and you know, it's like, oh, flubbing their lines, not saying the like the intro bits enough, not announcing whether they're for or against the, um, the protest to the uh, to the counting of Pennsylvania's votes. It was goddamn infuriating to witness. A disgrace to our government, to our nation, 
to parliamentary procedure in general, to democracy. It was a fucking insult. I'm so incredibly disappointed. And like, this isn't the first time I felt like this, but this time especially hammered at home because they had to know this was going to be like the most watched parliamentary session in years, right? Like, especially for something this ceremonial, right? Sometimes you'll have like, you know, they'll drag Mark Zuckerberg out and, you know, make him answer, are you a robot 14 times? And everyone watches that, but the, the procedure is much less formal, much less, I don't want to say archaic, classic, much less, you know, prescripted there. When they get to one of these largely ceremonial procedures, is it too much to ask for them to learn their fucking lines? Evidently, it is. Like, I, like oh my god. I think they should have recall elections if they flub their fucking lines. It might, it might be extreme. But again, you know, they have to have uh, an expert in parliamentary procedure read their comments until they can get their lines down. And Pelosi should be smacking her gavel and saying, are you for or against the resolution, right? Not just letting someone go into it. And then because you know which team they're on, you know whether they're for or against it. No. It needs to be on the record. The stenographer needs to take it down. <sighs> Nothing gets me more pissed than parliamentary procedure mistakes, listeners. Maybe NFL football. Close. <sighs> and I'd like to raise another point. The basis of the red team's objection was... It's unconstitutional. And their argument was basically, the Constitution says that the state legislature shall prescribe how the election is carried out. And the state legislature has indeed created a set of rules for how the elections are to be carried out. Each state decides individually. And then, deep into the pandemic... When not only is the national legislature gridlocked and incompetent and useless and unable to memorize and recite their fucking lines, you can only imagine what the state is in a place like Pennsylvania, right? Or wherever the fuck, Ohio, you know, like Montana, fucking Washington. Can you imagine the parliamentary procedure mistakes that are going down just on a day oh, I would say daily as if the legislators meet daily oh. so the courts and the executive branch and uh, the judicial branch well like the courts and the attorney general types made all these rules and changed how ballots or collected and accepted, etc., etc. And you know what? They're fucking right. Red Team's goddamn right. This is not procedure. They, like, they violated procedure. It's a reasonable objection. Now, 
do I think it was the will of the people to elect Donald Trump? No, I don't. I do not think that at all. I do think we have to follow procedure. I think that the state legislature should be held accountable for not getting it done. And while I don't think the, you know, yeah. It's like, can we get some computer engineers in here, please? And design a more transparent election system, please? It can't be that difficult. I've talked to data scientists, like people with real PhDs who are very, very smart and incredibly good at making data usable and anonymous, which is all you need. It's very doable. These problems are solved. There are mathematical papers written on how to do it, right? It's, it's a fucking thing. Statisticians are good at their goddamn jobs, but yet somehow we can't get this done either. Can't learn their lines. Can't even meet and make some rules because of COVID. Can't bring in scientists who are... Oh, fucking infuriating. So I just want to say that as much as... And it, oh, and it was, it was enraging to me. To witness, I, it was, it was gripping entertainment, but it was also really irritating. Kind of like watching the NFL, right? So, red team would come up and be like, "Parliamentary procedure, or not parliamentary procedure? Excuse me." Although they were very hit or miss at following that, they were like, "We object because Pennsylvania did not follow the Constitution." And then. We'd be like, okay, sure, whatever. They'd say that for five minutes. Pelosi would be like, time is up. Next. And she'd flip over to, and at least she did keep them timed to five minutes. I was also timing them. And she did a pretty good job at that. Right, credit where credit is due. And that's all that is due. But it will be given. And her gavel. Like, let's talk about Pelosi's gavel technique. Disappointing. I was even disappointed with Pence. And maybe it was the gavel. But I wanted like an echoing bang. Right? As I blow the levels up on my podcast. I wanted an echoing bang that like resounded. I wanted resonance from that gavel. And it was just like a little thunk. And they didn't come to order. Pelosi called them to order like three times in a row and they did not fucking come to order. And to be fair, she barely knew her lines. So it's like, how can you respect her? But on the other hand, she's goddamn speaker of the house, right? She not, I think that's what she is. She's fucking speaker of something. She must be, because Pence is a senator. <sighs> or, he's not a senator, but he's the fucking president of the Senate. Any ways. Red team would come up and say, some combination of either A, the Constitution was violated, and no one seems to be taking this seriously at all, right? Like, get the Supreme Court together and tell them to make a ruling that changes it. They're right. All the laws anyways, as they please, you know, whatever. Red team would come up and make this valid point and they make it over and over and over. And it was really irritating. They would also make some sort of sanctimonious point, but at the very least they had this, this singular nugget of accuracy, right? Blue team would come up with these sanctimonious moralistic points about the right thing to do. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no one's fooled here into thinking that you're these paragons of virtue who care about the people. Just give your excuse for not following the rules. 
so every time they would get up and just start talking about if you watch it you know and if you don't i can't express the sanctimonious annoyance how sanctimoniously irritating is a better way to phrase that how sanctimoniously irritating i found their speeches it was enraging anywho i mean it's not going to be addressed at all but you know it annoys me that it isn't it needs to be why isn't the supreme court weighing in on it <sighs> i think it's amusing in the extreme uh that all these Trump supporters are getting in big trouble because they were easily able to be identified from the footage because they're a bunch of anti-maskers, <laughs> which is hilarious comeuppance, um, because being anti-mask is one of the stupidest takes possible. It really is. It's like, hmm, does an upper respiratory infection spread through water droplets? Is that inhibited by wearing a mask? No, couldn't be. It's one of the most boneheaded takes I've ever heard. So I do think it's amusing that their refusal to wear masks is now exposing them to facial recognition and getting picked up, you know, months or days or however long later. Uh, and it's probably going to be way more effective on them than it has been against you know, the BLM types in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And as much as... As much as Blue Team might throw a fit about the, rel the relatively lenient treatment so far, like, let's not pretend like these people have gotten away with it like the statute of limitations is over on trespassing federal property right but as much as they have quote unquote gotten away with it let's also not pretend like not escalating things isn't a solid call some of the time like why escalate unnecessarily anywho those are my thoughts on that next up I have prepared for you some thoughts on the COVID vaccine. So, um, as I'm sure you know, the COVID vaccine has had no controversy or um, sketchiness, no, no reluctance on uptake of any kind. Everyone is hyped. We are all of one mind on this. There's no confusion. Uh, everyone's just like, yes, give it to me now. Ha, ha, ha. No, of course not. Um, there is considerable amounts of reluctance. So I think the last, uh, number I heard was, uh, only, I want to say 56 or 59% of Americans. Um, I don't have these numbers in front of me. These, these specifically, I have most of these that I'm going to tell you right now written down. But this, I, I feel like it was like 56 or 59% of Americans would take it if offered right now. Which means that, you know, 40-something percent would not or would be hesitant to. And honestly, 
it's not surprising at all, considering the way that this entire pandemic has been happened, has been handled uh, front to back, right? From the beginning, right? Do you remember them telling us not to wear masks? When, as I've said earlier, any fucking idiot could tell that a upper respiratory infection, right? Like, if you look at the other COVID pandemics, which is to say SARS-1 and MERS, which are also coronaviruses, and are why specifically COVID coronaviruses, and are why, according to, you know, the manufacturers and the CDC and everyone, why one of the main reasons that we were able to have these vaccines ready so quick is from uh, repurposing work that we had already done on those other similar COVID viruses. <laughs> so the, the very idea of telling the American people repeatedly that masks did nothing is so unbelievably oh, idiotic. One of the worst moves ever. And probably in the history, uh, you know, in the history of governance that has to be up there with, like, letting the Trojan horse in. Right? Oh, like, look at this giant horse. Here, we're just going to give you this as a way to say we're sorry and we're just going to bounce. It's like, oh, yeah. Let's bring it in. D don't even, like, crack it open outside the city walls. Just bring it on in <laughs> right the mask debacle of the first couple months of the pandemic has got to be up there right like if you think about really really bad decisions invading russia in the winter i'm trying to think of other horrific decisions, right? Invading Russia in the winter, letting the Trojan horse in. The whole mask debacle, right? Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor's got to be on that list. Right up there with invading Russia in the winter. Like, in, in terms of just utter bonehead strategic moves, right? This has got to go down in the annals of, you know, political history as one of the stupidest moves. And I think, like, someone should announce that as people go into the room. <laughs> like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci participated in the utter idiocy that was telling people not to wear masks at the beginning of the pandemic. Now hear his expert opinion. Right? Just so no one ever forgets. There should be a secret service detail that follows around all those people and announces that to, like, people they meet in casual conversation. Just because people deserve a warning before dealing with that level of idiocy. So when you're talking about a, a government that has pulled bullshit like that, not to mention some of the history of medical experimentation sketchiness that happened in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and just... The government generally being pretty sketchy. Uh, it's not entirely either surprising or unfair to question it. So, I did what any good researcher does, and I watched a bunch of YouTube videos by a bunch of doctors on it. <laughs> I also like looked at papers and uh, read some of the um, statistical findings from the studies. But again... I'm not there. I'm not in the lab. I don't have a degree in biochemistry. 
I can't tell you, you know, if this information that all the experts agree and the papers say and the, you know, FDA and the CDC all agree, right? You know, again, I can't issue subpoenas and look at, uh, you know, uh, Pfizer, 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 Biotechnica, Modena, AstraZeneca, fucking AstraZeneca. You want to talk about the evil corporation from a video game, a classic name, AstraZeneca. It's like, oh, you can just imagine a bunch of developers sitting around, right? A bunch of writers sitting around spitballing. What shall the name of our corporation that the main character works for and turns out to be behind the evil plot? Call it AstraZeneca. Yeah, that's an amazing name. Regardless, I'm here to talk to you about the three main vaccines. Two of them are RNA or uh, mRNA, messenger RNA vaccines, and one of them is a viral vector, which is a genetically modified virus. So, let's start out with the official story. The mRNA vaccines consist of a bunch of mRNA suspended in fat molecules, lipids, uh, and this gets injected into you. The lipids bind with the cells in your body, and then the cell, the lipids contain uh, this R, uh, this excuse me, this mRNA, right? And so, what RNA is is essentially, it's essentially the code, right? So, if the DNA is the operating system in the shell, the RNA is the code that tells the operating system what you want to get done. And so this piece of code basically says, make a protein that is the coronavirus's spike protein. Make this protein. And then extrude it from the cell, right? So it goes in the cell and it meets up with the, oh, was it the nucleotides that read it? I forget what reads the, um... RNA, but basically it just tells the cell, make these spike proteins. The cell starts to make the spike proteins, they appear on the outside of the cell, and then the body's immune system sees this, goes, hold on, this is not supposed to be here, and kills it. And in the process, it gets good at recognizing those spike proteins are a foreign body, and so then when the coronavirus comes along with its spike proteins ready to latch onto cells, the, uh, the immune system has already seen this, and it goes, ha, gotcha, stop right there. Stop right there, criminal scum. You violated the law. So, this is the idea. Now, the AstraZeneca uses a modified virus from, oh, was it a chimpanzee? Yes, it uses a modified virus from a chimpanzee. Basically, uh, someone, uh, someone who acted like they knew what they were talking about said it was the chimpanzee equivalent of the common cold, right? So, but the important thing is, is that it is not recognized by our body because it's just never seen its like before. So they inject that into you and that gets into your cells, the, the virus carrying the, the new DNA and it gets into your nucleus and then it tells, uh, it tells the cell to make the essentially the same nRNA that the other vaccine just injects into you. The, uh, the uh, mRNA gets made, the protein, uh, the spike protein gets created, 
spike protein extrudes from the cell, and the immune system recognizes the spike protein and learns to defeat it. So, there's a few advantages and disadvantages to each of these viruses. Or, excuse me, each of these vaccines. Basically, something to keep in mind is that the RNA is sort of unstable. Um, apparently, it breaks down in your body fairly rapidly uh, within a day or two. It should all be gone from your system. And the same is true when it's out of the body. It's still an, it's not a super stable uh, chemical, and it wants to break down. Molecule, excuse me. And so it needs to be stored at crazy temperatures, right? Moderna's... Uh, vaccine needs to be stored at negative four degrees Fahrenheit. Negative four degrees Fahrenheit is quite cold. It's like deep freezer in an industrial kitchen cold. Very cold. And even at negative four degrees, I think it only stays stable for like 30 days. Um, but the Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which is way more difficult. Negative four is already no joke but negative 94 is madness but because astrazeneca's is an inert virus those are way more hardy and it can be stored uh at uh, about 36 degrees fahrenheit which is like cold fridge right so it's just far far easier to store also the cost astrazeneca is projecting at about four to five dollars a dose Whereas Pfizer, Biotechnica, Moderna, um, the uh, the uh, mRNA vaccine is going to be around $20 a dose. Also, also, AstraZeneca's vaccine is going to be able to be manufactured in far greater amounts. So they're thinking by the end of uh, 2021, uh, Moderna and uh, Biotechnica slash Pfizer are expecting to be able to put it on the order of a billion doses of the vaccine ready. And I'm pretty sure that means 2 billion shots, right? A billion people worth of inoculations. That's all well and good. But as someone who knows just a little about logistics, talk to me when you've got a distribution method for providing something at even just negative four degrees to a billion people. Talk to me within a year. Talk to me when you've got that going. In fact, recruit me because I'd love to be on that team. Right? Okay. Uh, AstraZeneca, on the other hand, thinks they can get somewhere in the order of 5 billion, which is crazy, right? Because there's only, what, 7 or 8 billion people on this globe? Maybe fewer now that we have this COVID. Hey! Um, so, to address a few common questions, the information I have seen says that once the cell starts making these spike proteins the body will not kill the cells that get used to create the vaccine proteins, but that it will kill the coronavirus. That sounds like bullshit. Because how would it tell if it's learning to kill the coronavirus based on the spike proteins and the cells that are being used in, uh, being used as factories to create the spiked protein, the spike protein? are going to have those spike proteins on the cell membranes. They're outside. You don't think the immune system is going to squelch them? I think it will, listeners. So, 
I would say that's why um, I suspect so many people are reporting severe muscle pain because you get the injection into your muscle and then your body goes around, slaughters a bunch of your muscle cells, right? Not like whole swaths of tissue, just a bunch of cells throughout. And then you're in a lot of pain as it rebuilds itself. So stay on your protein if you get this injection is what I'm going to recommend because you're going to be rebuilding a significant amount of the muscle. It's just, that's just what I suspect. Again, I am in no way a doctor or am I a lawyer. I am a recognized expert on parliamentary procedure. No, I'm bullshitting. Um, but it fucking could be. And, oh, I should mention here that both the uh, mRNA vaccines are claiming about a 90% uh, efficacy and uh, close to 100% in preventing severe um, cases of COVID. Like from the data I saw out of, oh, I want to say like 73,000 people who got one of the either um, Pfizer or Moderna vaccines, one person who was in the uh, the study group, so not the placebo group, one person had to be hospitalized from COVID. Now, this seems, seems great, right? Uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, they had a bit of a fuck up when they were rolling it out. They rolled it out in two studies. One was in Brazil and one was in the UK. The Brazil study, I want to say they had 9,000, um, a cohort of 9,000, right? 9,000 participants in the study. The UK, they had 3,000. It might have been 7,000 in Brazil. The point is this. In Brazil, they correctly administered one full dose at first, and then a month later, another full dose, right? And they found about a 60% efficacy. But in the UK, they accidentally gave everyone half a dose for their first shot, and then a full dose for their second, and they found a 90% efficacy. So, leaving aside the questions of how do you fuck that up, that is promising. Especially because that's the cheaper one that's probably going to go out to the third world, right? In terms of my recommendation, should you inject this into your veins, I think that I buy most of what they're saying as far as the mRNA, right? It breaks down quick. It's like a fragile little message that disappears. It's designed to disappear quickly. That's like the point of it. Uh, your cell's like, oh, we need more of thus and such a protein. The nucleus spits out some of whatever RNA that will tell the cell to make this protein. So like whatever your body needs. In this case, it's making these spike proteins your body doesn't need them. The immune system sees them. It kills them. It also probably kills the cells that were, that were making them. I just suspect that it does. But I have no proof of this. But this, I mean, to my mind, would explain the crazy soreness people are reporting. So I think that it's reasonable to take the mRNA vaccine. I think it's reasonable. Now, AstraZeneca injecting a genetically modified virus that does make its way into the nucleus of your cell. I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. That's going to be between, uh, you know, you and your healthcare provider. Make that decision, dear listeners. But just considering the, um, the complications that you get from COVID, right, and the chance of long-term side effects, right, you're hearing, like, 
again, it's hard to say exactly, but you hear about significant numbers of people with like long-term lung damage or long-term heart tissue damage. We've the, the earliest doses of the vaccine have gone out about 10 months ago. They started in March of 2010. Uh, the real uh, decent cohorts uh, didn't start for a few months after that. I think we're about seven months into solid amounts, like, you know, on the order of 70,000, which is a lot, right? Which means about 35,000 actually administered doses. I gotta say, there's enough sketchy complications and risk from COVID that I do think I would recommend taking it. I would take it. I would take one of the mRNAs. I would not take AstraZeneca. Could call me paranoid, but that's just a little high on the sketch meter, especially considering they already fucked up their own trial. So uh, that's where I'm at with that. And yeah, I think that they've decided that they can lie to you whenever they want, and they're lying to us about it not killing the cell that got co-opted to create the spike proteins. Um, but I think that's, you know, I think the cure is far better than the disease. On average, right, statistically. Um, and, you know, again, because of their emergency use authorization, these companies will not be held responsible if something goes wrong, right? And something always goes wrong. If, like, if you inject a billion people, someone's going to have a crazy allergic reaction to the needle that got used, right? They're going to have a, a staff colony right under the injection site, and the nurse was lax about swabbing them, and then they die, right? Crazy stuff. Like, if when you, when you have a sample size of multiple billions, you're going to get crazy things happening. But I think your odds are better with the mRNA vaccine than with catching COVID. Now, you could argue that you're super unlikely to catch COVID. And I'll hear that if you're working on uh, the International Space Station or McMillan Base uh, out in the Antarctic. <sighs> but if you're not, you know, I think you need to be, uh, you know, it's worth considering. And I think that, I think that, let's say, if 40% of Americans don't take it, uh, because they've they've weighed the chance of them contracting COVID, and then having an adverse, having like a bad outcome, versus taking the vaccine and having a bad outcome, and you know the chance that you contract it, right, multiplied by the chance of a bad outcome for COVID, and just the chance of a bad outcome for the vaccine, I think that the number of people who should rationally decide not to take it is far lower than forty percent. I just think that's true. Um, and that's without even getting into the moral argument of herd immunity and protecting people with bad immune systems and all that. I just think rationally speaking, if in a purely self-interested person, 40% of people is, uh, wildly too high, right? If you're someone who lives in rural Nebraska and you trap your own food, yeah, I would say don't get it, right? Why? I mean, you're not going to catch it anyways. You haven't seen a person for years, and it's easy to maintain distance if you do, right? Just fire a few shotgun blasts in the air, right? Your claymores will deter visitors. On the other hand, if you respect our ancestors enough to live in the civilization that they fought and died against megafauna to create, then you might want to really consider taking it when they offer it to you. Uh, and again, 
Like, let's see how this rollout goes. Um, oh, and in terms of mutations, so far, despite the fact that there's more infectious strains of coronavirus, uh, specifically COVID-19, there's more infectious strains popping up. This is always going to be the case with viruses. This is just sort of how uh, they mutate and evolve, right? Typically speaking, they're going to get more infectious and less virulent. That is to say, it's just how it, like, it's like machine learning. It's, it's machine learning for viruses um, where the ones that win to pass on their DNA, right? The ones that get to reproduce are the ones that spread better. And how do you spread? You spread by being really infectious and not killing your host. So sometimes you'll get something that's really infectious and then it picks up another mutation that kills the host. And that's where it's really sketch because it already acquired the hyperinfectivity trait, right? All of you who've played Plague Inc. know what I'm talking about, where the hyperinfectivity, right? You get your, you get your virus super infective. And then you suddenly switch on total organ failure and maybe psychosis. That's a fun one. Anywho. So yeah, I think that's, that's all I have for you on the subject of vaccines. Oh no, actually there's one more thing. Um, they are actually developing vaccines that are essentially inert versions of the virus. This is more difficult than just creating the spike protein through mRNA, which is why it's taking longer. But um, it's it's sort of reasonable to kind of want that uh, instead because, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to wait that long, at a certain point, uh, at a certain point you've waited long enough that the, the longitudinal studies looking at time data will be coming in for the mRNAs anyways. But it's worth pointing out that people are working on vaccines that are uh, basically the, um, the inert version of the virus. Finally, listeners, I have for you today space news. Space news! Now, I didn't really study up on space news that much. I've been keeping an eye on space news but I didn't really get into writing a story. So I don't have anything super specific. But I just want to talk briefly about how good of a year SpaceX had. I believe they flew 26 uh, orbital flights, and I think they landed just about every single one of their boosters successfully. They might have missed a couple, but they did it so often it's become routine, even amongst like the space junkies. It's like, oh, SpaceX did it again. They landed a booster. Great work, SpaceX. It's incredible, the the achievement that that is. It's also really nice to have an American-based rocket company that can fly our spy satellites up there. And indeed, SpaceX just did that this very week. So that's pretty cool. (sighs) Suddenly, I don't remember if I noted when I'm recording, but I'm recording on the 11th. Oh, yeah, the 11th of January, 2021. Okay. Let's also talk about their Starship test. They flew one of their Starship, which is going to be like their super heavy lift vehicle that can 
make the journey to Mars eventually, right? The idea is in-orbit refueling, so fly a few of them up there, um, combine all the fuel together into one, and then you can use that one to fly to Mars so that you don't have to carry all the fuel to go to Mars in one go from Earth. Also, to be a general uh, heavy lift vehicle, you know, put spacecraft at, uh, in space, put satellites in space, right? Starlink has continued to move ahead. Uh, and so they flew their um, Starship, Starship rocket up to 40,000 feet. Then the engines cut out and it flipped over onto its belly and fell down uh, like a skydiver, just plunging through the atmosphere, uh, perpendicular, or excuse me, parallel with the Earth rather than perpendicular. And it flew surprisingly well. Uh, it managed to flip back over and reignite for the landing, right? So it returned to vertical. And, uh, and at the very end, basically one of the, um, one of the valves got stuck, uh, in its propellant mix. And so it stopped having enough, uh, I forget what they use, what mix they use, something in oxygen, but it ran out of that something. And so it was just burning oxygen and engine. So it basically consumed itself, the rocket engine. And because of this, it was unable to provide enough tr thrust for the landing legs to deploy. And it slammed into the pad and exploded spectacularly. Uh, it was still a, uh, considered a successful test. And um, interestingly, SpaceX wants to land uh, not on landing legs. They want to land the rocket by its steering fins uh, and basically catch it suspended in the air on land, which sounds nuts, but that's that's what they aim to do. So it's going to be so much fun. 2021 should be a great year for space. We've got a rover landing on Mars in February. We might have the James Webb Space Telescope happening. We're going to have more Starship launches uh, Artemis might be making progress on towards going back to the moon. 2021, 2021 should be glorious for space, um, exploration, flight, and all of that. Uh, so listeners, I think that is all I have for you in this portion of the Tuesday Newsday podcast. I want to, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and I want to encourage you to stick around, um, after this, for the Tuesday Booze Day podcast, which should begin shortly.